I'm honored and excited to announce that I want to know has their first sponsors. First, Dr. James McIntyre and his team at Adjust Your Health in North Calgary. When I met Dr. James almost 20 years ago, I was taking a bucket load of Advil every week just to get through my day, like 16 to 20 a day. Not to mention the alcohol and other substances I would take at night so that I could sleep. I suffered from chronic back pain due to car accidents, sports injuries, and repetitive motion damage from being uh, in the drywall industry. I worked in the trades for nearly 20 years, had more than 10 car accidents, three very serious ones, and some severe sports-related injuries. Most of the chiros I saw could only give me temporary relief. I was, uh, it was getting expensive and very depressing to know that I would see some of these chiros and only get temporary relief, but wake up the next morning in pain. I was lucky that the last chiro I saw said she couldn't help me and directed me to Dr. James McIntyre. After only a few visits, I felt tremendously better. Most of my pain had left, my mobility was coming back, and I didn't need as much Advil. If I remember right, it was only a few months, and I was almost completely off the pills. Life was getting better. I've known Dr. James and his crew for almost 18 years. I've referred almost everyone I know to him, and they have become Adjust Your Health advocates. The team at Adjust Your Health offers a wide array of services, including acupuncture, massage therapy, chiropractic, and physiotherapy. They believe in a multidisciplinary approach to patient care and use a variety of techniques to help the patient achieve their goals, from pain relief or injury resolution to improving sports performance. Calgary is very privileged to have such a highly qualified team of practitioners available to accommodate your health and well-being needs. If you are in pain or an athlete or just want to be as healthy as possible, check them out at www.com. A-Y-H-Calgary.com. Our next sponsor is Paul Nye, an amazing artist out of Verdre, Alberta. I've admired his artwork for years. He's been mostly doing airbrush work to customize motorbikes, cars, boats, hard hats, and signs. The work is stunning to see. You can get all your custom work done with Paul at Reaper Creations at 3700 McCool Street, Crossfield, Alberta, just a half hour north of Calgary. That's not all. I don't want to take the light away from his airbrushing, but his tattoos are out of this world. His ability to bring tattoos to life with shading and color will astound you. The skill set he has as an airbrush artist transferred seamlessly to tattooing. You can get your next tattoo with Paul at Shell Shock Tattoo and Piercings at 920 36th Street, Northeast Calgary. We have featured some of his art on our YouTube video, and we have had him on the podcast. Paul is second to none as an artist and a person. You can also check out his art at Nice Tats or Nice Touch on Facebook and Instagram. And now, on with the show. I want to know podcast with Chad Ferguson. Hey everybody, it's Chad and this is the I Want to Know podcast, a kick-ass podcast. Today my guest is Brian Blackwood. Uh, He's written a book called Sandstone Heart. Can uh, we see that well? There we go. Um, We'll put links to it into uh, our uh, social media stuff when it comes up. Uh, How's it going, Brian? Great. Good, good, good. So we met through a mutual friend who was actually uh, used to be my co-host, was uh, Mark, um, on the show. And uh, you guys met because you have kids the same age and uh, do martial arts and stuff like that. 
Yeah, and we were involved with the, uh, the zombie survival group, so there's that as well. <laughs> Forgot about that. It's yeah. so awesome. I never made it out to any of those, and I definitely want to do it. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I imagine. Mark, Mark's got a lot of stories about that. You do a lot of role-playing and practicing, drilling, that kind of stuff? Uh, less than you'd think. We did a lot of practical skills, things that didn't really involve zombies all that much. Don't <laughs> tell anyone, though. You know, how to start <laughs> fires, how to have a shelter, and how to... You know, find things in the wild to eat and drink and things like that. Cool. So more apocalyptic than zombie. Yeah. End of the world, surviving in the bush. I, th I think the deal is that um, if you say you're a survivalist, people are like, ooh, he's a crazy nutcase. He wants <laughs> to live in the woods. If you say you're a, in a zombie survival group, people are like, oh, he's just kind of quirky. <laughs> really? A little bit weird, That's, right? I don't see how that definition comes from that. The survivalists are pretty cool. I think the zombie apocalypse stuff is pretty cool, too, though. Yeah, I, I think you're you're more sympathetic to it than a lot of people, though, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> they get some real uh, Timothy McVeigh type of vibes from from hearing survival. A lot of people do, anyway. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Okay. Well, I think it's cool, anyways. If I had a chance, I'd get out and do it. Uh, do it with you guys if we started up again. Yeah, I kind of miss it, uh, but yeah, it kind of fizzled out. It's something about doing th things in groups that are that it's amazing to me. So I. I'm getting back. I just got back from holidays. We spent almost two weeks in Nova Scotia, and um, we ate too much, and we slept too much, and just came back feeling like garbage and overweight. And so today was like getting back into exercise and eating good, and I um, I went to everyone in my family. I'm like, hey, I'm going to go for a bike ride. Do you want to come? And I don't want to go for a bike ride. I just want to go out and do stuff with people that's exercise. Yeah. And uh, everyone's out. No one wants to do it. I'm like, you guys suck. So I went and did the damn bike ride all by myself. <laughs> Yeah, groups are like that a lot. Yeah. You get either people who are apathetic to what you're doing. You know, you've got 500 members and five always show up. Yeah. Or you get people that are power hungry, which is also very strange to me because there's no power to be had really <laughs> in these small groups, right? Like, yeah. you know, they want to be they want to be in charge. They don't want the responsibility to be in charge, but they want to be in charge. Right. It leads to all these little struggles and drama that. Stuff that I thought was done with when I was out of high school, but no, it just no. continues on. Yeah, I did a self-defense course. I taught it here in Airdrie for free to the community, and it was called Submit Self-Defense, and it was a lot of fun. We had like 25 people showing up, but yeah, you'd always get the one guy that wanted to take over the class, and I'm like, yeah. if you want to volunteer 25 hours of your time and do le you know, lesson plans and you know, work out uh, what everyone needs and start grading them, then you can start a course. Otherwise, you just come here and listen to me. <laughs> It's amazing how many people will drop out once they understand how much work is involved. Oh, it is, yeah. <laughs> you know, we did three um, one-and-a-half-hour classes a week, and it probably took me 20 hours to prepare. Yeah, I bet. Like, overall, between the classes and the warm-ups and the stretching and preparing the lessons, and, you know, we did fundraisers for equipment, and, like, it was a lot of time. Yeah, I, I still do some things like that. I the, one of the reasons I got into the zombie group was because I, I teach wildlife tracking and man tracking and things like that. Yeah. And it's the same thing. You have, you know, a, a class on a weekend and it takes you like 12 hours to prepare for one class, right, right to make sure it's okay. And yeah. Have you been on the TV show, Man Tracker? No, actually, a funny story with that is that when they were, the first guy quit at one point, right? The host or the tracker guy? Yeah. Okay. Um, so... I was in the running to take over the show. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I got to, like, the top three picks that they had. Yeah. And they said, well, you know, in your your application didn't show that you could ride a horse or you were a cowboy. I said, well, <laughs> I have ridden a horse, but I'm definitely not a cowboy. Right. Like, 
and they're like, well, we're really kind of stuck on the cowboy. You have top, you're they're the top in the skills as far as we can see, but the, the show's not going to work unless you're a cowboy. I'm like, well, I think it's probably not going to work with me. Then. <laughs> I didn't want to pretend, you know. This is what's great is my producer is a 12-year-old boy who's very, very smart, but I'm in charge. <laughs> <laughs> the producers sometimes can, you hear that from a lot of um, uh, comics and actors is like the producer just wrecked the show. Like they just come in, they want you to do this, this, and they think this is the end all be all, but they don't really know. And they end up ruining the show. Yeah. So, and Man Tractor, I guess, didn't get ruined. It stayed on for a long time, right? No. I mean, to their credit, it, it's gone on. It's been quite successful, right? Yeah, so yeah. The guy that replaced him, doing a good job, I guess. Has there ever been anyone on the show? I've never watched the show. I know what it is. Um, has there ever, ever been anyone to beat the Tracker? Oh, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. I'd love to go on the show. You should. But uh, <laughs> apparently they screen that kind of thing out. <laughs> yeah. So if there's anyone with skills, because... It looks to me a lot like it's terrain based. So, yeah. you know, you, you throw these two guys in a valley somewhere and you say, oh, you got to get over here, right? Generally, they're not going to climb up the mountain, go across it and down and up another mountain. They're going down the valley, right? Like, right. So I think a lot of the, a lot of that's planned out by terrain. So you, sometimes you don't need to track as much. You're just like, well. This is their only option. So I'm going to go cut them off at the pass. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. Um, so what got you into the whole, like, survival stuff and, and man-tracking? Animal, I mean, animal tracking is probably hunting, but... Actually, I, I haven't done a lot of hunting. I, I learned how to hunt at an okay. early age. I grew up in rural BC. Yeah. So in the middle of nowhere, really, and... What what was the area called? Uh, West Kootenays. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I got friends out there now. Oh, do you? Yeah. That's great. We have a little cattle farm out there. So, yeah, I learned how to hunt and things like that out there, Um I was never really all that into it. I was I was kind of happy that I knew that if I was I had the munchies sometime real bad that that I could take down a deer and that'd be okay. Yeah. But I didn't really feel the need to, you know what I mean? Okay. Yeah, um yeah. but I learned, you know, from some tricks and all sorts of stuff from people that lived in the bush there and things like that, little bits on how to track things. And you know, when I was 18, as maybe happens with anyone who's 18 and a guy, they're like I know everything about this, right? <laughs> what, an 18-year-old thinks he knows everything? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that, that was me. I was arrogant about it. I told people, yeah, I'm a tracker. I know how to do stuff. Yeah. Um, and then when I moved to Calgary, I think I was about 20, 21, maybe something like that. And I had an experience out in the bush where we just got lost completely, mm-hmm. right? Um, I wasn't prepared for it. I was, you know, I was staying in this basement apartment and this landlady came by and she said, hey, come four by four with me and, and bring your friend here, right? I said, okay. So we went up four by four. She said she was just going to the city. We didn't need boots or anything, right? Yeah. She went to, out to Brad Creek, McLean Creek area. McLean Creek, yeah. And she's like a maniac in her, in her truck, right? Just booting it along. And uh, dangerously so. Like, you know you're going to wreck your vehicle. And we were trying to tell her that. And she was thinking that we were, I don't know, mansplaining. <laughs> Before the term was a thing, right? Uh, but then, yeah, she broke an axle oh, way out in the middle of nowhere. It that's was hard to do. Like, you got to be trying. I've done a lot of 4 by 4 in yeah. my day, and, like, you'll blow rear ends out from putting too much pressure on or snap a spring or something, but to bust an axle is hard to do. Yeah, so I, uh, it was tricky, really, because she was kind of thorny about men telling her things. Okay. So <laughs> that we had just said, hey, I think you're going to bust your vehicle. Yeah. And then she broke her axle, like, <laughs> She's not, she didn't want to hear it really, right? Yeah, yeah. 
but then we're in the middle of nowhere. She has no idea where we are. I've never been there before. Yeah. I don't know where we are. And we've got a choice to make, right? And she, I used some of the things I knew, and I said, I think we got to go this way. Yeah. Right? And she said, no, we got to go this way. And <laughs> she would have been headed down to Elkford, maybe. I don't know. Like, <laughs> So I said, no, we can't do that. And... uh um, I tried to use some tracking and things like that and realized I really didn't know much at all, right? right. <laughs> and I ended up having to, like, like, physically yell at her to get her to turn around and go the other way. She'd probably be dead today, right? Yeah. But she was really not all that thrilled about that. But there was a few, inti- like, I realized then I didn't know as much, right? Yeah. And you come to a spot, you know, as a time growing up that you're like, okay, I've told everyone that I know a bunch about this. I thought I knew a bunch about this, so... I either got to do one or two things. Like one, I got to stop telling people that I know <laughs> right. know the stuff real good, right? Yeah, exactly. Or two, I got to fix that. Yeah. So I thought, I'm going to do two. Yeah, yeah. I actually enjoy it. So after that, I spent a lot of time going around North America and training uh, with people who are masters in the, the field. Very cool. As soon as, and learning as much as I could, right? Yeah. I think most people just like, well, people believe me, so that's as far as it has to go. Yeah. But, but with certain things, like you, you never probably thought you were going to get lost in the woods. And all of a sudden, you're lost in the woods, and you're like, shit, I don't know enough to get out of here. Yeah. Like you felt you, it makes you feel insecure about your knowledge. And either people crumble under that or they rise up. Apparently, I knew enough to get out of there. But it was like, if I was going to say how much more I knew than getting out of there, it's maybe like 1% or 2%. I just <laughs> scraped by and got out, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's too funny. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome that uh, taking taking charge, especially at a young age, and going, yeah, I can, I should learn this stuff. I should, I should figure it out. Well, you gotta, otherwise, you're not authentic. You gotta do one of the two things. You gotta either be like, you know what? Yeah, I was dumb. I didn't really know it. Or so this is a question for you. Did you know martial arts before this? No. Well, you didn't do martial arts till after. after so yeah. I, I have a theory about, um, and it's not mine. I've heard it from other people that once you get good at something, then you know that you can be good at other things. So the 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 ability to learn something. That conquering that, now all of a sudden, like, oh, I'm a black belt in this. So now I could be a black belt in anything, or I could write a book, or I could yeah. be an actor, or I could, you know, you you know that you can learn. And I think most people don't really understand. Like, general school doesn't give you that type of accomplishment. I think it does for some people, but not for most. But getting that martial arts or, or getting to be an expert in something, regardless what it is, if it's computers or basket weaving or art or, or tracking, then once you've done it once, you've succeeded, you've learned it, you've mastered that skill, now you know you can master anything. Yeah, I totally agree. It, I, I've Since then, I've kind of had a list of skills that I want to pick up, right? And I think the, the flip side of that is that, I mean, before that, you kind of look at people who have got on this level of anything and think they're kind of godlike, right? Like, you look at someone who's, you know, second or third degree black belt, and you're like, that's amazing, Right. right? Those are amazing people, and they are. Like, don't get me wrong; they're great, right? Yeah. But once you've gone through some of these processes, you realize you can get there too, right? <laughs> exactly. It's not like they just jumped there; they just got out of bed and they're like, ah, "I'm amazing. I, I can do martial arts." Time no, and they energy. did. Yeah, they put in the time, right? Yeah. And they've done, you know, ten thousand snap kicks and and so on, right? right? They they know how to do this stuff. Yeah. And one of the things from martial arts that when I was training that always stuck in my mind was uh, don't do it. Uh, don't do a skill until you know how to do it. Do it until you can't get it wrong, right? So don't do it until yeah. you get it right. 
do it till you can't get it wrong. So a lot of time, like even the jab, everyone thinks the jab. Well, that's easy punching. It's not the easiest punch. Um, that it, it takes a lot of skill to be able to understand when that jab can go in and how quick you can throw it, when you should throw it, and when you know they're going to move and when you don't. Like there's just so many things to know for there's every tons. strike that it's not a just a let's go punch because that typically doesn't work for most people. It's a layered thing a bit. A bit. I mean, when you get someone in new and you're teaching, that you you're probably like, yeah, here's how you jab, and yeah. you know that's fine. They're just doing their jab, and that's okay, right? Yeah. And then as you go, you're like, yeah, but this is when you would use it, right? And, yeah. Um, this is how you defend against it. Yeah. This is when you never use it. Like, this is when they're setting you up. They're waiting for you to jab. Yeah. yeah. I'd like that hand, please. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I, uh, that's what I loved about martial arts is that I think it's a never-ending um, learning. Like, even black belts oh, yeah. or red stripes or, you know, depending what art you're in, they all have higher levels. There's coral in, in BJJ now and um, – but they're still learning. Like there, there's always something new to learn in the martial art. It, 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 everything is like that. Uh, yeah. The tracking world's the same. Like I, um, I teach classes in it, but I don't even know if I'm comfortable calling myself an expert because, you know, the farther you climb up the hill, the more hill you see. You're like, okay, well, there's still <laughs> lots more I could learn, right? Right. And the same with martial arts, right? Yeah, I think in life as a whole, it's it's when you have that. What's the right word? Um, not laziness, the comfortableness of life, like where you just like, oh, this is good. I'm just going to stay here. Yeah. I've got a good job. I'm paying off my house. I've got a good wife. But you're not looking at being a better husband or a better dad or better employee or better off financially. Those are the people that suffer, I think, from um, disease, whether it's depression or anxiety or, you know, name it. There's, there's a million things that come around from being comfortable. I think yeah. you have to be uncomfortable all the time. Yeah, I agree. Cool, cool. Yeah. So uh, you you started with the tracking, and then you did some martial arts later on in your life, and you became yeah. a black belt in Hapkido. Yeah. Is that the right pronunciation? It is, yeah. Cool, cool. <laughs> I've heard some people uh, pronounce some of the arts, and I'm like, I don't know if that's right, but I honestly don't know if that's right. So. Yeah, it's mainly uh, joint manipulation and things like that. And Similar to jiu-jitsu, but more stand-up, right? Yeah, more they do some stuff from the ground, but they're really not a ground school type of thing, right? They're yeah, you can do things there, and they they teach some grappling, but that's not their focus really, right? Yeah. Their their focus is, you know, someone grabs you, and you can take advantage of that. Basically, they think someone grabs you, it's a gift. Yeah, yeah. You this know, is the Steven Seagal sort of made Hapkido famous. Yeah, not yeah. that I think he's the the great, although he gets treated like he's pretty high level Hapkido. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so much so that he went and taught uh, Anderson Silva for a little while. Oh, really? <laughs> Did you know about that? No, I didn't. They, uh, I don't know how long it was, but there was a video out of Steven Seagal giving um, tutorials to Anderson Silva, the UFC fighter. And then Anderson was trying to use it inside the ring. Anderson's tried to use Wing Chun and JKD and um, a bunch of different arts that he's learned, like latest back up against the cage. And, I, and I don't, I'm butchering this, I know. But there's a bunch of terms where like they parry and slap the hand and punch. And like they have these combinations as people are coming in, use all these combinations to, you know, parry a whole plethora of punches coming in. Yeah. Yeah. It's It was pretty cool to watch because I was... Uh, uh, after the Steven Seagal, I'm trying to remember what Steven taught him. It was, um, 
I think it was a some form of a kick, and it was it was about timing and whatever. But anyways, that didn't really pan out very well. But we watched Anderson Silva quite a few times in the ring try to use Wing Chun or JKD. And I wish I could remember the names of the moves. I'm so horrible at it. But, uh, yeah, he was using them, and they were effective. That's cool. Yeah. Because yeah. typically the, the traditional arts don't get shown all that well in the UFC, right? Yeah. Other than maybe jiu-jitsu. There's so many different moves. I mean, to remember all the names of all of them is crazy. It's crazy, yeah. And I do very little of that stuff. It's not my favorite. It's not my style. Um, uh, I'd like to learn more of it, but there's limited for time. I have to work a full-time job, unfortunately. Even when we're trained, I mean, you can only go so far with joint manipulation, right? So they they teach a lot of punches and kicks and bit of escrima with sticks and things yeah. like that, right? Yeah, escrima. That was the other one, the, yeah. the stick fighting. What's the Filipino one called? There's a Filipino stick fighting. Uh, Cali? Cali, yeah, that's yeah, it, yeah. that's it, yeah. I did yeah. a little bit of that. That's fun to do. Yeah, the, yeah, I like the sticks quite a bit. <laughs> the drilling, is uh, it's a blast. And when the sticks start getting hot, you can start smelling them as you're smashing them against each other. Yeah. That, that was very cool, too. And can be effective in a lot of situations. Like yeah. I, I read an article one time about a... It was like a uh, um, some kind of robbery on a train somewhere, you know, like not like an old west train, but like a sea train type of deal. Yeah. And a guy got up and and defended the thing with two newspapers as sticks. Wow. And this guy had a knife, right? He, he like rolled them up. And yep. Well, that's very cool. I remember yeah. the very first. So I fought quite a bit as a youth. Just school and bars and you yeah, know, it happens. <laughs> yeah, I got bullied <laughs> quite a bit. So you learn to fight and. I thought I was awesome at it because I won most of my fights uh, in the streets and in the bars and, and that kind of thing. And then uh, I left Surrey to uh, move to Kelowna. And it's kind of, it was one of those where I was starting to get in trouble. People were starting to know who I was. And, and so even the police, it was like, I got to get out of here. And so some friends recognized that. And they were moving to Kelowna and asked me to move with them. So I went, but I had this itch to still fight. So I started hitting all the martial arts clubs, trying to find somewhere I could spar, like boxing. But I went into a Cali club and I did a course. You know, everyone gives you the one or two free classes. Oh, yeah. So I did, uh, I did the free class and then I walked out there. And I'm like, that was a ton of fun. But when am I ever going to have a stick? And so I blew it off like, this is so silly. And then I went into uh, David Lee's BC Inter Martial Arts Academy in Kelowna. Um, you know, it was where Rory McDonald came out of and Shane Shetland oh, and okay. a bunch of guys. Um, and trained with them for a couple of years. And that was amazing. Like MMA, getting to fight like almost every day. Because they spar a lot there. Or they did when I was there. And so you do your hour and a half of, you know, your warm up, your drilling, your training. And, um, and then you would go spar. Um, and that was uh, absolutely amazing to me to be able to like legally fight, no repercussions for <laughs> punching people in the face. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I think uh, even just a skill is learning to be punched in the face, even right, like that's huge, and, and not like it's going to surprise you anyways. Like it's going to shut you down a little bit when you get punched in the face. But yeah. Before you do, I think it'll shut you down more, right? If you've never been punched in the face and you get nailed, that you're going to be two or three seconds before you can react. By that time, you've been punched in the face probably two or three more times, That's right? That's right. <laughs> I think uh, Tyson says everyone has a game plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah. <laughs> and then that goes out the window. can't remember someone else, uh, kickboxer maybe, was saying that uh, um, when you punch a, a black belt in jiu-jitsu or judo, this is what he was comparing, was that uh, they go from black belt to brown belt, and you punch them again, they drop down to <laughs> blue belt. Yeah. And if they haven't been striking before, then it's, uh, yeah. I, it's funny. Excuse me. When I was teaching, 
I thought that it was normal to punch people. I grew up my whole life punching people. Never really got in big trouble for it. It was like, hey, everyone's pretty okay with it. Uh, a couple times in you know elementary and high school, I'd get you know um, segregated from the population for it. But yeah. other than that, it wasn't really all that bad. So no one really frowned upon it. And then when I started teaching, we were doing it in a church, and some of the people from the church were coming, and we would do jab drills and you know one two threes and you know all that stuff on pads. And then we would want them to do it on us as a person and we get it really really slow and really light and you learn to parry and move your head and that was kind of the way I taught and uh, this guy um, you know he's 45 48 years old really really fit guy um, was throwing punches and I just stopped moving because they weren't going to hit me and I'm like no, no you got to yeah. throw them so they're going to hit me he's like I can't hit you I just can't do it I'm like it's okay like you I'm telling you you can he's like I can't and that was his last class he took. He wouldn't come back again because he oh, had that's to. Too bad. Yeah, it was. I was really, and I never did find out what his hang up on it was. Like why? Like if someone says hit me, I'm like, oh, I'm pretty okay with that. Like I'm not gonna abuse people that want to be abused. But you know, if you're in a a gym and they're like, okay, we're sparring at fifty percent. Well, I'm gonna hit you at fifty percent, and mm. you know, is or try to at least, and uh, uh, let you defend and learn your skills. I always thought it was. You were robbing your opponent if you didn't do that stuff. Well, you're trying to train for a real-life scenario, really. Or what are you doing? That's right. Bit. So uh, I found that, too. You get into a sparring sometimes. And, then, you know, the people in the, in the studio kind of end up being friends, really, in a way. Yeah. So a lot of times you're, you're sparring, and, and they're sparring, you know, for punching. And even with an extension of a jab or a cross, they're, they're still out of range. Like, they're not even going right. to so you're like... You know, you got to move in, yeah. or else aim, you're aim for the back of my head. Yeah, you're <laughs> not gonna, you're not even gonna hit me. So move closer. Yeah, and it's okay if you hit me. And then you know, sometimes right then they hit you when you're talking. And you're like, <laughs> okay, yeah, like maybe wait until we spar again. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've had that happen too. <laughs> I was, uh, I was doing a getting a. There was a lady in front of me. And she hadn't uh, done very much martial arts. And I think we were just working on jabs. And so she was doing that where she wasn't in range. So I, I stopped the class because I noticed a bunch of people were doing that same thing. And I'm like, everyone look. And she throws a punch. And I'm like, she's out of range. I'm like, okay, so like, let's look at where our feet are. Let's look at where yeah. our spatial is. And let's get you into range. And she gets into range, and I'm like, okay. And she thought that was okay. <laughs> She's like, <laughs> whack, <laughs> right in the nose. And then she felt really, really bad about it. But uh, it's, it's. I mean, once you get, you can sort of get used to getting hit, especially by smaller people or people that aren't well-trained. You don't want to yeah. get hit by MMA guys or, like, black belts. or. No, that's it. They, they hit <laughs> way harder than the average person does. Yeah. Yeah, they've been training it for a long time. Although, you know, martial arts is one of those skills. It's kind of unique in this way that when I'm sparring someone, I'm way more comfortable sparring someone at a higher belt than I am a white belt. because For sure. At a higher belt, I know they got me covered a bit, right? That Yeah, they're going to hit me and stuff, but they're not, like... They're not going to kill you. Yeah, like, they're... They're gonna. It's gonna be controlled, right? Yeah. Whereas sometimes when I'm sparring a white belt, something <laughs> will come out of nowhere and like it's yeah uh, some kind of weird windmilling technique and and all of a sudden they've nailed you where you didn't think that you should and you maybe you should have blocked it but yeah it's just wild stuff coming out of nowhere. Right? Jiu-jitsu is very famous for that because when you're you're close together in jiu-jitsu, you're rolling. You have to be aware of all the appendages. Because all of a sudden your head swinging across and you're headbutting people or you're elbowing in the face as you're reaching for something or you're poking them in the eye. Like you're so tight knit in jujitsu that going with guys that are brand new, 
you're always beat up coming out of there. I'm like, yeah, I'll go roll with that. the third delivery black belt, and I don't get this hurt. Yeah. I'll tap out nine times, but I don't get hurt. Yeah, I one of the guys that that taught us at the at the studio, he was a jujitsu guy, and I never wanted to ask him a question because his answer was always. I'm so glad you asked. Let me show you, <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> and yeah. you end up tapping out hard because he yeah. he was really really good, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, they they have a different squeeze. Like we were talking about the punches, right? Like someone that that's trained to punch will punch you harder than a normal person will. Mm-hmm. Will you wrestle a wrestler or you roll with a jiu-jitsu guy and they squeeze like unnaturally oh, yeah. hard, like it's insane. You like, there's no way that guy's strong enough to do that, but they are. Yeah, they know how to use the force on it, right? <laughs> Star Wars term, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, hundred percent. It really yeah. is, though. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime I'm in a grappling situation, my goal is to get out of the grappling situation as soon as possible yeah. because it's not my game. I I really enjoy it. I thought the when I started at David's class in uh, Kelowna, I, I wanted to do stand up, and so um, his was all encompassing. You take all of his classes, sixty five bucks a month. Take whatever you want. I'm sure it's not sixty five bucks anymore. That's a real steal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was a steal yeah. of a deal. Even back then, I felt like it was a good deal. But um, I'd only go to kickboxing class. He's like, Chad, why don't you come to the jujitsu class? I'm like, I don't know. I just don't think that there's that much value. We'd seen Hoist Gracie, and I'm like, eh, people will learn that, and they'll beat him, and they did um but then once i did it like he said like no no you get you gotta come so i i finally went to a class and i rolled and i'm like this is insane like getting arm barred or triangled or you know head and arm choke you're like this really works like oh the guys are good at it too they're just scary good too yeah and and it's it's amazing how fast you get good at it like it's one of those arts it doesn't take a long time to be proficient at the basics of it and those basics are going to work on most normal people not martial artists but like i remember um I went to Australia for a month before I had a wife and family and all that, and uh, I got into a bar fight there. And uh, I won't tell the whole story other than this guy punched me from behind, and then I spun around, he charged at me, and I just block, 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 and I pulled him into a standing guillotine, and then I pulled him up off the ground. He went limp in my arms. He was a little guy, too. And he hit the ground. And then I was like, where are all the bouncers? And there was none coming up to it. So it was a very, very quick fight. And then I'm walking off the dance floor, and his buddies pick him up. And he wakes up. Like, because you don't stay out long when you get choked out. It's like, literally, when you let go of the choke, they start coming too. Mm. Other than his head dropped four and a half feet and hit the, the dance floor, <laughs> which probably knocked him a little silly too. But when he came to, he was kind of grog, and he looked around, and he saw me again, and he charged me again. Um, (laughs) so (laughs) as he charged I'm like I'm just going to stand my ground got my hands up he missed all the punches and he literally ran in underneath my arm and so I'm like all right, I'm going to lay down and cinch (laughs) this on tight so I had a full guillotine on him and I got my legs wrapped around him and I just tried to pull his head off and I could hear his back cracking his neck cracking as I'm pulling like I'm stretching him out free chiropractic I think he owes you yeah and he was out cold in seconds like, I just felt him go limp as soon as I squeezed. But I wasn't going to let go of him again. Now, I'm on my back. His buddies are around me. At least I have his body as somewhat of protection around me if they start kicking or punching or whatever. And then, finally, the bounces came out. So I'm still squeezing this guy, like, 
10, 15 seconds easily and a hard squeeze on him. And this big bouncer comes out. He goes, let him go. I'm like, put your hands on him and I'll let him go. Yeah, no doubt. Because if he comes too and he's above (laughs) me, he's going to start wailing away. So he's like, okay. And he reaches down, grabs him by the shoulders and I release and I kick him off and, you know, get up and the bouncers, he comes too, like right away, but really groggy this time. And they walk him out of the bar and his friends follow him out of the bar. And then they came back and bought me a beer. That was it. I thought for sure I was getting in trouble for fighting in another country. Well, that's Australia, you know. Yeah, there are probably yeah, a bunch yeah. of prisoners over there, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's just a regular Saturday night there. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that was a fun place to visit, though. But yeah, those are like the most basic things you can learn in martial arts. And it worked twice in one night. And I walked away virtually unscathed. It's tough to imagine the mindset of the other person, though. You know, you think, this guy just fed it to me real good. Yeah. Dunked me on the dance floor down. I'm going to go run after him again. I don't know. I think when I worked security in Vancouver's Chinatown, what I realized was is there are some people out there that pick fights because they want to get beat up. It's like Uh. a a form of self-abuse. It's like death by cop or, you know, they they know they're not good at fighting. They know they're going to get hit. And there's something about that for like they're damaged people, obviously. Yeah. Um, But I I took me about six months of working in Chinatown uh, with the homeless people and the drug addicts and the crack addicts and, you know, the prostitutes and the pimps and all that kind of stuff. I patrolled the streets of Vancouver's Chinatown and to figure out, oh, no, no, this guy doesn't want to beat me up. He wants to get beat up. And wow. so I would I would calm some of them down. I get because there's only about you know in that general area 250 300 homeless people you know drug addicts prostitutes. You get to know them pretty good after six months, and I get to know who they are and, and their names. And I'm like, dude, we're we're not doing this tonight. Like, go pick a fight with somebody else. I don't want to beat you up again. <laughs> and uh, you'd have to take a little few minutes to calm them down, but eventually they would calm down. But when it was the other way around, where I caught them doing something illegal, breaking into a store, and I'm like. Dude, you're coming with me. And he's like, the fuck I am. <laughs> then then, the, then, real fight was on. then yeah. the real fight was on. So you, ha- you can't let him get away with uh, crimes, right? So, yeah. Yeah. It was a fun job. I'd still be doing it if it paid more than seven bucks an hour. Yeah, that seems low for that. It was. They wouldn't They wouldn't give me my hep B shots. I had to go get that myself. They wouldn't buy me Kevlar gloves or anything. They gave me a uniform, and it was a light blue shirt, gray pants, uh, tie, and like a, a hat that looked like a an RCMP hat. Did you have any sort of protection, uh, a stick or anything? Nothing. So you're not allowed to carry a billy club as a civilian. You're allowed to carry a mag light up to, a, I think it was a 4D. Okay. Uh, for Still diesel. Does a lot of damage that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I got a story for that too, but um, I think I've told it on here before, so I won't tell it again. <laughs> but uh, so I could carry that. Um, uh, my second or third shift down there, I got pulled over by VPD to uh, so they can introduce themselves to me and and vice versa. Yeah. And so I was talking to the sergeant down there, and he's like, "You don't have pepper spray?" I'm like, "No." He goes, uh, "He goes, you have to have pepper spray. I'm not going to let you work down here without it. You want to be able to um, use that if there's more than one attacker. If there's like, I need you to have it." I said, "Okay." So I went to my boss and I said, uh, "You guys going to buy me some pepper spray? The cops want me to have it." And he's like, "No, we, you're not allowed to carry that." I'm like, well, he says I have to have it. He's like, well, then go buy it. So I had to buy everything myself. You know what? And I'm not even crapping on the job. Like, financially, it was a shitty job. Like, it was a horrible job to have. But uh, it was maybe my favorite job of my life. Like, it was so much fun. Experience-wise, it must have been crazy good that way. The... It's like this. Like, I meet all kinds of people. Like, just normal, everyday people that have jobs. 
people that are really, really smart or really funny or high-end martial artists. Like, I get to meet all those people are the same people. They're just living on the streets or doing yeah. drugs. Like, there was a guy that was an NHL star. Like, he was in the NHL for four years, blew his knee out, got hooked on pain pills, and then ended up on the streets. It's crazy how quickly life can change that way. Yeah. yeah. Like, so there, there's, there's, and, and what I realized, too, about them down there is most of them wanted to be there. They didn't want to have a job or bills or responsibility. Just walk around the streets, do whatever the hell they want. That's what they wanted. I'm like, all right, well, that's good. There's guys that live out in the woods that do that. No one bags on them. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well I, maybe some. I grew up in the woods, and sometimes we, yeah, I mean, get harassed. Well, there was some, there were some crazy people that live in the woods. You know, For sure, yeah. Uh, as a teen, I worked in the restaurant in a little town. I was at there as a waiter and. Sometimes these guys would come in once a year. They come in, you know, and they they got beards that look like this. They're like big square yeah. things. They're framing their face, and they come in and order pie once a year. And everyone clears out of the restaurant because they stink like yeah. to high heaven, right? So there's you know <laughs> we we bugged them a little bit. I I didn't really much, but it it happened, right? They yeah. they're mountain homeless early is what they were, right? Yeah. Yeah, and, and I don't, I don't like, I get it. You gotta have uh, shelters and stuff like that for the ones that want off the street. Yeah. But for the most part, I think a majority of them, a big majority of them, want to be there. They wouldn't take a job or a mortgage or a car payment, like all the stuff yeah. it takes to be in normal society. They don't want it. They yeah, I, I read something it. one time that really opened my eyes on that because I, I thought, you know, at, at one point in your life, you think, well, if only they had some of the things that I have, then their life would be different. Right. Like clearly they want to be, they would want to be where I am. Yeah. And I read this, this thing about this guy who was on the street and he inherited 50 grand. Yeah. And at the start of the story, I'm thinking, wow, he's really going to turn his life around. Didn't he threw a big party, invited all his friends, <laughs> blew it all in like a week. Yeah. And then back on the street. And yeah. And they were interviewing him and asking why he's like, well, it's kind of where I, I'm happy where I am. Yeah. And that was a fun party. Yeah. Like, Whoa. 50 grand party. That's insane. Yeah, can you, you imagine? Know how much hookers and blow you have to do to get burn up 50 grand? Yeah. That is crazy. Um, yeah, there th- and you know what? I don't know why society wants to change everybody to be like them. Uh, you know, I, I'm a Christian guy, and, and I like when people turn to Christianity, but I'm not all about changing them. If they ask me why my life goes the way it's going, I'm like, well, I do this and I this, and I go to church, and I study this, and I'm learning how to better myself every day. That's that's what it is. That's what Christianity is. Yeah. And if someone wants to do that, great. But if they don't, that's okay. I don't need them to be Christians. I th- I think the problem is is that society, any society anywhere, is kind of a fairy tale in a way, right? So yeah. the society itself sells you a fairy tale. This is the ideal thing, right? You're supposed to do this and this and this. Right. And as a result, you will get these benefits. Yeah. And... So the the bulk of people in society will will follow that pattern and be like, yep, okay, it's like baking a cake. I do these things and I get the things. Perfect. Yeah. But there's always people on the outside of that that don't quite fit <coughs> in with that. Yeah. And we really, really want them to. If if you're part of that society, right? Yeah. If you're if you've ever been on the edge of it in any way, I think it helps your vision to be like, okay, they're just different. Yeah. Right. Whereas if you're part of the core society, you're like, no, no, we must fix them. Right. Yeah. Because they're not right. Yeah. But they are, they're right. They're fine. Some of them are just great. They're right? totally fine. Yeah. I, I think the same thing about um, handicaps, like uh, people with Down syndrome or ADHD or, you know, there's all these different afflictions and everyone's like, oh, that's so bad. I'm like, I don't know. 
Maybe their life is better than ours. How do we know? Yeah. We're not inside their heads, right? I, I get there's some diseases that are, you know, really difficult to live with. But, you know, we've had family members with Hunter syndrome and they had a few issues. I yeah. Mean, but it's not the end of the world. You know, the it was rougher on us to see them go than their life was having Hunter syndrome. Yeah. I Certainly in some cases, like, I, I'm always, I don't know why, but when I'm riding the sea train, I'm always the guy that that the people with Down syndrome come and talk to, right? <laughs> yeah. Maybe I look less scary than other people. I, maybe it's that everyone else gives them a weird look. I don't know what yeah. it is, but what I admire everyone that I've talked to on the train is that they are so happy. I right? know. I can't be that happy. I like, I, <laughs> you know, I know. I, I'm happy a lot of times, but yeah. but I can't get to that level of happy, yeah. right? So that's pretty cool. I I think so too, and like you know, trying to fix kids with ADHD. Maybe they're better off with it, like not yeah. in a classroom because that's not the right spot for them, you know, for a kid that can't sit still or concentrate, but they can learn. Um, I was um, uh, did the Big Brothers and Big Sisters program and uh, the little that I had, they said he had all these learning di- uh, disabilities and he had to be on medication. He had to do that. I'm like, I'd really prefer him not to be on medication when we're out. Yeah. I'll deal with whatever's going on. Like he, he's not a bad kid and he just had trouble in school. So, you know, come the weekend to take him off his bills and um, I'd take him out on the weekend and then he'd be back on it during the week. And I don't know if that's the right way or wrong way to do it, but I took him rock climbing at, you know, uh, what's that center on 16th Avenue? Anyways, big rock climbing. You have to get a ticket to do it. You have to learn and memorize and be tested and do all the skills. He had no problem. Before we went into the building, I set it out. And I'm like, listen, dude, if you want to climb the rocks, this is what you have to do. So you need to focus hard. You need to understand they're going to test you and you need to pass that test or we go home. You don't get to rock climb. That's it. It's as simple as that. So there's no talking. There's only listening unless you're asked to speak. We went in there. He went through the whole course. And this is a kid. They, they're pushing him through school because he can't learn anything. And in the half an hour course, he memorized all the knots, all the safety stuff, all the commands, everything you need to do to rock climbing. And I'm like, yeah. this kid doesn't have a problem learning. Yeah, it's clearly not a learning problem, right? No, yeah. it's yeah. like a discipline or uh, an accountability problem. I, I don't know what it was. Yeah. But uh, he's a great kid and uh, did not have a learning disability. But everyone taught him or uh, treated him like they did. Well, sometimes when you're treated that way enough, you kind of believe it, right? I, I believe that too, yeah. I really do. If all the doctors are saying it, your mom starts thinking it, starts treating you you're, a different you're way. You're taking pills for it. for you know, like. Right, yeah. So you must be wrong, right? Yeah. I think we medicate people way too much. Uh, I agree. I, I, I have this argument in my head all the time because I want to bash pharmaceuticals, but I mm-hmm. know there's a place for them. Like I, I it's definitely true. do. I mean, uh, yeah, you get sick enough, you're taking them, and they work, right? Yeah. But then again, there are some pretty evil people at the top of those things that are making lots of money on it, right? I know. I would give my left arm to get a CEO of a pharmaceutical company to sit down here for two hours and just have a discussion and find out how psycho they really are. I wouldn't even ask them about the industry, but just talk to them about life and people and just see what comes out of that conversation. I wonder if they're just too practiced at it, though. Maybe you wouldn't even see it. (sighs) Maybe. I don't know. I, I would sure like to figure it out, though. Yeah, I've. I don't know. I've I've run into people like that here and there, and sometimes it's shocking what people will say, right? Yeah. Uh, I've done some stuff in film here and there, and that was one of my my first uh, things where I'm like, boy, that person's just plain horrible. (laughs) Like, they have no conscience at all, right? Like, they, um, this guy was a speaker on screenplays, and 
he's talking about how this lady, you know, she worked on a screenplay for like 15 years and she shared it with him because she wanted his help on getting some exposure for it. And he stole it. He straight up stole it. Unbelievable. And so he's in this, he's teaching this course on this, right? And he's like, and I was right to steal it because uh, she didn't protect herself. So that was my right. Wow. I, thought, I don't want to punch that guy in the face. Yeah, I left. I'm like, oh, I can't, I can't stay here. Yeah. This is. We, we had a makeup artist that's breaking into the uh, industry. She's been doing makeup for a long time and special effects and stuff like that. Amanda Tozer was the uh, the guest. And she was saying that. She goes, there's some sets where the people are amazing, the producers and the directors and the actors and, you know, all the staff. They're just they're like family. But she goes, you go to some sets and, like, they're mean people. Yeah. But that's true everywhere you go. I'd like to film again. You'll have to get me in contact because I'm always looking for people for stuff. You, you, know? you are filming? I'd like to film again. Okay. I, I haven't filmed since uh, 2012. Okay. Before that, I was getting into it quite a bit. I directed some music videos and oh, very cool. Done some screenplays, and I did one half feature, you know, 45 yeah. minute length movie. Yeah. I have. Um, there's a few, quite a few people in Airdrie that are actors. Um, Eric, you remember the name of the guy that was on? Um, you want to look through our podcast? Remember the guy that told you the joke, the bald guy? I can't remember his name right now. Pretty famous actor did the, uh, um, oh my goodness, I can't believe this. I can't even remember the name of the uh, TV show they did out here about the trains going across the prairies. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, Kevin Davey. Kevin Davey was on. Great actor, great guy. Uh, Nikki Middleton, she's an actor and a model on her and her um, uh, husband, uh, Ray Lou. Uh, actor as well and Amanda Tozer is a uh, makeup artist and uh, we know a bunch of people in theater and actors out here so this is a really talented town that we've got out there there's so much in the whole area I've I've always been surprised that this area like Calgary area wasn't the film center right because we have everything that's when I look at here like within an hour or two we've got pretty much every type of environment yeah you know urban rural we've got like deserty looking stuff, mountains, grasslands. We got everything. Everything. So why aren't we filming here? Government, they tax yeah, them I the know. wrong way, right? Yeah. Like it's it's all political about where they go. Because uh, you know, I'm trying to remember the da- Kevin Davy and uh, Amanda Tozer both talked about this organization that are trying to build up the Alberta um, uh, film industry again, um, which I would jump on board immediately. I'm actually thinking about getting an agent and doing some acting and some voice work and stuff like that. Oh, maybe because cool. I just I really enjoy this stuff. I enjoy the process. I like meeting the people. Like everything about it is is fun. It's super fun. Yeah, yeah. I did. Four years of drama in, in high school, and I absolutely loved it. I should have just followed my passion back then, but turns out uh, bars, beers, and girls were <laughs> a little bit more enticing. That's passion as well. <laughs> I, I, so I, you yeah. went with one passion. I got out of that passion, and I picked a family, which is way more, I'm way more passionate about than I was about the bars and the, the beers. You. Yeah, <laughs> you're welcome. It was about the time of life, though, right? It yeah. was, yeah. I was young and dumb, and yeah, you, you learn as you grow older. And uh, I, I think now I'm probably more fit, I probably am more skillful, and, and I have a knowledge or a, a desire to learn like like never before. Yeah. yeah. And I'm almost 50, so... 
Yeah, that's awesome. Well, why should the age matter, right? Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's not time to roll over and die at fifty. I feel really feel like every time I hit a decade, I remember when I was turning thirty, I was out uh, probably two weeks before my birthday out with a bunch of people, and I was kind of feeling down about it. And they're like, "What's going on?" I'm like, ah, "I'm gonna be thirty in a couple weeks." And they're like, "There was a guy at the table I I'd, I'd only seen once or twice. I didn't really know him, and uh, I was just kind of blubbering and." you know, being a whiny baby. And he, he literally broke into the middle of the conversation and he's like, dude, life begins at 30. So don't even look at it that way. I'm like, yeah. all right. And it got better at 30 and it got better at 40 and it'll get better at 50. Yeah. I, everyone, every time I reach a decade, people are like, where are you feeling older? I'm like, no, nah, not really. You know, as a math kind of guy, the, the prime numbers bother me more than the decades, you know, because there's <laughs> less of those as you go on, right? Yeah. If I get another decade, that's kind of cool. If yeah. I get to another prime number, I'm like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> how how old are you now? Forty six. Of course, we're yeah. the same age. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be forty seven. Forty seven or forty eight this year. Forty seven. Why? I don't do you know. not know your own age? I was born it in nineteen seventy two. I yeah. It becomes less and less important as you get older. I have a tough time yeah. remembering your age. That's mean. <laughs> that was a change for me when when I got over forty, as I had to start calculating my age because I really didn't give a crap. No <laughs> birthdays are like they're just not a big deal anymore. Like when I, when I was eight, I I knew how old I was down to the month. Yeah, right? like <laughs> I'm eight and three quarters. Yeah, yeah, right. I knew exactly, but you know, after you're forty, I think you're like, well, wait, that was what year was it? Okay, okay. Oh yeah, forty six. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I uh, when I was uh, after I turned forty, I would tell everybody that oh, you know, I'm forty. And then Nicole, my wife, would say, No, 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 you're forty two. Like, oh, okay. And then I'm like, I'm forty something. And then now I'm forty six. I've been telling everyone I'm close to fifty. And my wife's getting mad at me. Like, don't tell them we're <laughs> close to fifty now. <laughs> we're forty six. That's what we are. Yeah. So yeah, it's fun. I uh, I really do think life gets better, but better with age. And then, you know what? There's there's up and down, ups and downs all the time. Like um, you, we talked a little bit about you going through a divorce, and we're not going to dig too deep into it. But that's obviously a down, right? Like oh yeah, that no one wants that to happen. When you got married, you married this person because you love them and plan to spend the rest of your life with them. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes it doesn't work. There's always people that I meet that that uh, think I should have pushed through, even no matter what, right? Yeah. You know? And I'm not even sure it was a negative thing overall. In the moment, it was quite negative. I would imagine. But uh, after the the real horribleness of it, because it's horrible for sure. Yeah. Uh, positive. My life's better. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That that's always the thing, right? I think in marriage, people think the grass is greener on the other side. Mm -hmm. um, too much, they think that. Where you know. We have ups and downs in our marriage. It's not, it's not all, you know, Mary Poppins and rainbows and, and you know, unicorns. It's it's uh, it's hard. It's hard to be married. It's You have to Can work be. at it, right? Yeah. Um, and I shouldn't say it that way. I, my wife is easy. I, I, I look at some of my friends' wives or you see couples out, you're like, glad I'm not married to that lady. <laughs> well, this is, a, I think, uh, uh, marriage sometimes is, is where chivalrous things can can bite you and they they did to me because okay. you know growing up um i was kind of taught not directly it's not like my dad had a like chalkboard was like hey here's here's what happens but you know he you got the impression that if things were going to go awry it was the guy that was going to do that right like right you know there's the guy that's going to go and cheat or the guy that was going to be drunk all the time whatever right yeah. so you got it in your head kind of that if you were just perfect 
just a good guy, then you have no worries. Right. Right. And that's not the case, right? There's so two people. There's <laughs> two people. And, you know, chivalry kind of gets, gives you this image that the other side, the, the female side, they're always innocent. They're, they're not going to go anywhere. Yeah. That, and it, it happens, right? Yeah. So. No, I totally think that's what most people think, but uh, I also know that that's not true. That oh yeah, um, you know I've seen some friends go through some pretty miserable divorces or stayed in miserable marriages, and you're like, holy dinah, like just get out. Like just and I I I hate divorce. I hate even breakups. When you know a friend yeah. of mine's dating somebody and breaking up, it breaks my heart to see it happen. Uh, I it's hate hard. it. But there's times where you look and go, yeah, get away, just get away. When you're in it, you don't realize sometimes how how yeah. bad it is, right? You yeah. Sometimes you're like, okay, you know, you're, maybe you recognize something's a, a bit wrong. And you're like, okay, I'm just going to push harder and do better. Yeah. And I'm going to make this better. Even if I didn't cause it, I'm still, Yeah. I can fix this by bettering it, right? right? You can't. It's like an endless hole sometimes. Sometimes so. you can't. I think that's the right attitude, though. I think that's what you got to do in a relationship is that, um, so my old co-host, Mark, obviously he's uh, gone through a pretty awful separation and yep. divorce. We did a podcast with uh, uh, Judy Giles Teb, um, who went through a pretty miserable divorce as well. And they're like, we hate marriage. The whole thing is stupid and wrong. And, uh, and you know, they're, they're allowed to have that. For them, it didn't go very yeah. well. And I get why they think that. But th- And I'm like, I love being married. Like, it, I love it. And they're like, why would you? I'm like, because I don't have to be on all the time. Like, when I have yeah. a bad day, you know, everyone says it's 50-50. It's not. It's 100 hundred. Oh, yeah. Right? When I'm not 100%, now my wife's got to be 110. And she does. And vice versa. And there's days where neither of us are <laughs> performing at 100%. Um, but then that's when Grace comes in. You're like, ah, that was a bad day. We didn't talk to each other the way we like. We didn't do the things that we liked. And you move on, right? Yeah. Uh, but some people can't. Some people can't get over that. Or some people don't want to put that 100% effort in. Or... You know, just the people are people. Yeah. I I mean, turns out I had a bad one. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> other than that, I, I don't really harsh on marriage too much because I'm a romantic at heart really at the, at yeah. the bottom of me. And, and I do believe that there are, are good people out there. Yeah, right? for sure. And that you can meet a good person, have a good marriage, and things are great. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And I yeah. think you could do it on the second time too at, at oh, yeah. 46 years old. Yeah. I think that's totally possible to, to, you're so much more knowledgeable now going into it. Yeah. How, how old were you when you got married the first time? Well, that's a good question. Uh, 25, something like that. That's not bad. Like yeah. you're, you're starting to get a brain at 25. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There were warning signs then. I just kind of ignored them. I kind of loved her, you know? So yeah. I, you're like, well, no, I think that it's fine, right? It'll be okay. Yeah. But I should have listened to my gut more. Yeah. And and if you did get divorced back then, maybe you wouldn't have had your kids. and like That's the thing, right? Th- there's all these so. things that woulda, shoulda, coulda. doesn't matter. It happened. Yeah. You're coming out the other side with a positive attitude and know there's something better for you. Yeah. And, it, you know, sometimes it fuels good things. Yeah. It kills other things and fuels good things too, right? Yep. So yeah. life's a bit of a balance that way, right? So yeah. I, I don't wish it upon anybody. I, I jokingly say, like, if my wife left me, I wouldn't date. I would order a wife from somewhere. Like, you can get them out of Russia or China. <laughs> or <laughs> I'm like, just just send me a new one. It's, it's wanna, tempting. I don't want right? to figure this out. But, yeah. I met uh, two people that had ordered wives, um, and, and their marriages were great. Like, they really, they understood the balance, and, like, that guy, he just wasn't good at, 
picking up women, uh, the yeah. first guy that I met, and he ended up ordering a bride out of uh, somewhere in the Orient. I don't remember what country it was. And she was super appreciative of being pulled out of whatever, you know, uh, shithole she was in at the time. Like, she was in deep, deep poverty. Um, and so they just appreciated other each other for what they do for each other. It's a win-win. Yeah. Right? Non-conventional, but like we said, that's what means it on the edge of society. It's not on the core, but right. Who cares? Yeah. Right? Well, works for them, then works for them. We've done arranged marriages for hundreds of years, maybe yeah. thousands of years. That why uh, why is that any different? It's just now they're arranging their own. It's not parents doing it. Yeah, people don't realize how how modern that is. The the type of uh, romance marriage we have, right? Right. Like, yeah, just go date, date until you're forty and figure it out, yeah. or thirty or whatever, right? Um, and, and I'm not opposed to that thought process either. I didn't meet my wife until I was 31. Yeah. Um, and that was probably a really good thing that I didn't get married before that. Cause I was a retard. <laughs> there was nothing, <laughs> nothing, even in the beginning of the marriage, I look back to the uh, first 10 years of being with my wife and I'm like, man, I'm lucky she stayed. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, yeah. It sounds like you got a good one, which is great. It is, yeah. yeah. I want everyone to have what I have. When I learn jujitsu, I'm like, everybody needs to learn jujitsu. <laughs> <laughs> when I, yeah. right? And, uh, it's just that's the mentality I have. So that's cool. Yeah. yeah. So what what encouraged you to? Uh, obviously, you've done some filmmaking and and that kind of stuff. So you're I a did, very yeah. creative person. Um, you've written some cre- screenplays, or you were filming other people's I've, stuff. Well, I've written uh, maybe about. 12 feature length screenplays. Oh, wow. Um, bunch of shorts. I mean, the half feature I wrote and directed. Um, I've written music videos. I've filmed music videos, directing, producing, all that kind of stuff, right? Cool, cool. Yeah, so that was kind of on the rise when my divorce happened and it kind of sunk that. Okay. So, uh, you know, I was building up bigger and bigger things and then. Yeah. Um, that was that film, that half feature I was I was doing. What was it called? It was called uh, Moving On. It okay. was kind of a dark comedy about two ladies that were ghosts. Okay. Right? And they were kind of haunting the the one lady's husband, yeah. right? And then they try and fix him up with someone else, right? Like yeah. through their ghostly type of powers. And there's lots of dark black comedy in it. And Very cool. I thought it was great. You Is know. it still out there? Can you Can you see it? I think there's a you could see it on Vimeo, I think. Okay. Um, but I had some problems because you, my my ex had done some music for it, and some of her friends had done some stuff for it, and now you're since the bad everything guy. went, then yeah, I mean, I have to be the bad guy, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you look like a bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> I need more like mustachio twirling or something, but <laughs> there you go. yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing with uh, if you have to if you want to be a damsel in distress in your life. Yeah then you have to leave a string of bad guys along the way, right? I guess so. So yeah, I have to be the bad guy. <laughs> there you go. Whether I am or not. Right. In, in her mind and her friends, obviously. Yeah, I don't really care. I've yeah. kind of resigned myself to that, right? But yeah, that, since a lot of that intellectual stuff was in that pocket, yeah, it kind of sunk the whole deal, right? Okay. And then I didn't have energy to do stuff for a couple of years because of this divorce. But And you were... Um, a single dad too. You took after the kids most of the time. Was that right? Uh, it depends. So I've got four kids. Yeah, so there's a bunch of them. Um, my one daughter, I have about seventy five percent of the time. Okay. The other one's about fifty percent. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah, 
That, that's still a lot of work to, to have the kids there. Oh, it is, Separate yeah. homes, and yeah, it, it's it's hard. Yeah, and it's hard on them, too. I mean, I, I feel badly for them. Uh, I had considered staying in the marriage to just for them. Yeah. I thought, you know, I'm not sure that actually teaches the right thing, you know, because yeah. in, in the situation, I it was really one of my contributing factors to ending it is that I don't want them to learn that this is the right thing, that right. that this way that one person would treat another person yeah. would be an okay thing to have in a relationship, right? Right. I thought it'd be much better if they were modeled under a better... And where where does it go when you're not happy all the time, right? So even from a personal standpoint, I've been in bad relationships, and I'm sure they think I'm the biggest asshole on the planet. And I probably was at the <laughs> time, right? Like, when you're not in a good place, you just can't be that cheery, happy, make things right all the time, right? You just yeah. th- it'll it'll drain you being in a bad relationship. Um for me uh, always what my old was since I was really little cuz I had lots of problems with bullying growing up and things like that too. Um but nature has always been kind of my thing that relieves things for me. So anytime I was always ever really super upset, yeah. That's where I go, right? And Head into the woods, go for a hike. Go for a hike, trail a moose for a while, you yeah. know. Uh trail a cougar until you find it. Things like that, right? <laughs> Yeah, dangerous things sometimes, but yeah. somehow you do an hour of that and you come out a lot better. Yeah. Right? So I found hitting people. Not not the my other, but martial arts. Yeah. Going and train, getting on heavy bag, physical. Honestly, I I did I did a lot of that during that pro- that time. Yeah. I broke my hand uh doing that cuz I I didn't want to spar with people as much, so anytime there's an odd number and they're like someone's got to go on the big bag. Yeah. I was like, okay, I'll go in the big bag. Yeah. Because I didn't want to hurt anyone because I was angry. Not in the right, okay. yeah. So one time, you know, it's one of those big bags. It's a standing one that's got a base. and Yeah, yeah. And what were we doing? We were doing uh, knife hands on it. Okay. Oh, no, a hammer fist. That's what it was. Bam, like this, yeah. right? Backhanded hammer fist. And uh, I sunk the thing to the ground. Boom. And it kind of hurt. <laughs> <laughs> and I kept going. Yeah. And because... Actually, you know, in those moments where you've got a lot of pain, when you got physical pain, it kind of helps a bit in, it a, in a second, right? So yeah. you're like, yeah, you know, like I forgot about my problems for a second because my hand hurt so bloody much. So <laughs> yeah. So I kept hitting it, and then it was like swollen and looking horrible but the next day. So I thought, oh, I better go check that out. And sure enough, I'd, I had a spiral fracture like this. Oh, wow. Uh, and I, you know, I told him at the martial arts place, like, oh, no, you can't do that from a hammer fist on the bag. I'm like. Yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that happened. I, I shouldn't have hit it that hard. I shouldn't have been uh, maybe the, that angry, but hey, that's yeah. who I was, right? At the well, when you're fighting emotionally or doing anything emotionally, you lose a technique. You just, there's no way to keep oh. it right. And oh, I'm sure I wasn't. Get I wasn't perfect in my technique. <laughs> yeah. Like, we didn't even have to discuss it. I, I'm sure I was quite sloppy. And yeah. And that's where injuries come in every time, yeah. whether they're breaks or just even small injuries. Yeah. Yeah. So you were you were writing plays, um, directing, filming, all that kind of stuff when you're going through the divorce. And so yeah. obviously you have to change up things when you're now a single dad. Like you have your kids either 50 or 75% of the time. Yeah. Um, obviously finances change dramatically. Oh, yeah. Um, because depending on the other significant other, they want more than they deserve or vice versa. You don't want to give away. So it changes things, right? It, it changes whatever you had before if you were just scraping by. Now you're just less than that because now you got to pay for two households. Right. right? Yeah. So that's – it changes things for sure. But 
Uh, the book is certainly one thing that came out of it that is positive. Like, I, it was, I've written some novels before, a few, yeah. uh, mainly uh, young adult novels, that type of thing, right, under a different name. Um, and I was going through this, and I thought, I looked at the, the stuff that's out there, and, man, if you were a lady going through divorce, so many novels written on that. Right. Um, like, Eat, Pray, Love comes to mind. Yeah. Um, and that one's horrible, too. Like, there's a the story behind that that people should probably know, but they don't. Um, oh, I've never heard the story behind it. Okay. Uh, I'll say it. I don't think it's quite secret, so I don't think I'll get in trouble for, for talking about it. Kay. But basically, the, the, uh, the lady that wrote that, she had uh, been cheating on her husband. Okay. Um, and he found out they got divorced, right? The, like immediately. And she is a writer, so she phoned up her producer, her, her publisher, and said, "Hey, uh, um, I'd like you to to fund me to go write a book about being broken up, mm-hmm. and and so on, right?" So she, that's what she did. They they gave her a thousand dollars. She traveled to Italy and whatever, whatever, and wrote this book, right? Wow. But no one knows. It's like she does it kind of glosses over it in the book that, oh, yeah, we, we got broken up. But she doesn't mention that she caused that breakup, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, I guess it doesn't doesn't take away from what she teaches in the book and what people get out of the book, right? It's it's true, right? You can get something good out of it. Um, although even the, you know, she meets the love of her life at the end of the book. And she did in real life, too. Like she wrote about her actual journey. But then she... It was only a year, I think, before they were divorced. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I think it's funny when you see people go to, like, especially men. That's I see it from the guy side mostly where someone's been, you know, married three times and getting divorces and they hate women. I'm like, maybe it's you. <laughs> like, yeah. You could be the problem. Yeah. It, maybe if you hate women, don't, you know. Yeah. Being single is okay, right? Like. Yeah, yeah. No, it's not so, the end of the world. So don't don't date women if you hate them, for right. sure. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I... I but I looked at that and I thought, I thought there's like a, a score of novels for women like this. There's none for men. Nothing. Yeah. Zero. Yeah. You know, there's always self-help books on how to pick yourself up, reinvent yourself, all that kind of BS. Yeah, right? yeah. But, and um, some, sometimes I find that BS a little bit because people are like, well, now you can do whatever you want. I'm like, be whoever you want to be. I'm like, well, I was being who I wanted to be. Yeah. <laughs> right? I'm not going to get divorced and be like, gee, I really, now I can finally take up ice dancing. You know, like it, <laughs> right. I'm not going to completely reinvent myself, right? right. Um, but I thought I could, I could certainly write a novel on this because yeah. there's, there's, there's tons of people going through this. It would have been nice, I know, for me to read something about this that gave me a little bit of hope, yeah. right, that, that you can get through it. And I thought, man, you could really frame this as that traditional hero's journey too, right? Yeah. And it works just well with that. And that's kind of where the kernel of this book came out of, right? Yeah. So is it based on your life experience? Because I know there's some mystical things in the book you were saying. Yeah. Dragon slaying and that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, monster slaying kind of things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It is and it isn't. So this is one of the reasons that I, I chose a pseudonym. Yeah. The first reason I chose a pseudonym is that is my other works are... Um, uh, children's books and young adult young adult books. Yeah. And what I would hate is for someone who is a reader of those to be like, he's written a new book. Let's read that, right? Right. And this one's got a lot of sex and violence in it, right? So you're okay. like, okay, uh, yeah, that that'd be unfortunate, right? Yeah. So you choose a new name and do that. Second reason is my ex, kind of. Yeah. So, uh, 
Yes, it's 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 based off of my experiences a little bit. Yeah. Very, very teeny bit. So one of the things I first did, I interviewed a ton of men going okay. through it. And some women too actually. Yeah. Um, but probably thirty, forty men. Yeah. To see what their experience it was. And there's lots of similarities. Uh Mark is is someone I sort of interviewed, not really. I just kind of I listened to it, what he had to say and yeah. Um, there may even be some influence there in the book. Oh. Sorry, was that Eric? Okay, thank you. Were we, were we still good to we're go? We're good. Okay, yeah. good. Um, but yeah, he wasn't really officially interviewed, but even my brother, my brother's been uh, married and divorced twice, and I interviewed him. I remember on the train to Scotland one time and yeah. things like that, right? So I, I kind of took all these guys' journeys and put it in there. Mine's in there too, but... Yeah, one of forty or whatever, right? And, and they're also similar, so it's not you're just not taking your experience, but yeah, there's a something mutual that you guys all shared, right? So when I look at the main character's thing, his his journey, some of it's worse than mine, some of it's better than mine. It's different, right? Yeah. Um, but I know that were my ex to read it, she'd think it was all about her, right? <laughs> it's not, right? So I. I chose a pseudonym for that as well, right? Because yeah. I, I didn't want to get into that mess, right? Because I, it's really not. And right. even in the book, The Guy's X, there's maybe a, just a teeny bit here or there. It's more about him and his journey to go through it. Yeah. How he's got to, like, pick himself up and um, be uh, fix himself mentally and spiritually and physically. Yeah. So that he's, uh, at the very end, capable of... Having a new, new relationship, relationships, right? yeah, yeah. That is so powerful because I don't think enough guys. Um, there's a podcast I listen to. I think it's called. It's not the Man Show. Um, I'll think about it. Uh, what the name is, but it's all about men understanding their feelings and being open because it never happens. Like we never go to somebody and say, you know, I'm really sad today, because most yeah. of guys would make fun of you, um, which is probably fine too. It's a way that we deal with not understanding emotions. Um, but I, as an adult now, I'm like so conscious of how I feel all the time. Like I, it's okay to be sad. It's okay to be depressed. It's okay yeah, to be over the f roof, excited about something, but know why. And then you can feel the triggers coming on. Like, oh, this is probably going to make me really sad. So I'm either not going to do it or I'm going to do it and be sad. Like sometimes that's okay too. But not enough guys, I think, think about how they feel or why they feel that way and they don't they just don't deal they yeah. just suck it up yeah and i i think that's kind of part of the journey is going from that that passive where you're just drowned in your own feelings to actively being on top of that not just your feelings but on taking care of yourself and and getting into a better spot right, right. so but there's lots of i kind of frame it in hero's journey so there's lots of things that he has to do to get over that right that are they're physical things, even though in real life a lot of it is mental work, right? But yeah. there's monster slaying and there's, you know, an intellectual challenge with the Sphinx and things like that, right? <laughs> cool. And it's all, all of it, it takes place in south southern Alberta. Yeah. So different kind of iconic landscapes we've got all over here, right? So for someone who lives here, I think you'd, you'd be like, oh, I know that spot, right? Or Yeah. Or I know that strip joint, though it's not called that, right? <laughs> Things like that, right? Okay. But, you know? <laughs> that's, no, that's awesome. I, 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 like, I like that there's more stuff out there for men now because I think that 
Dr. Jordan Peterson talks about it at length, that if we're not supporting men, then we're not supporting society because we're the the yeah. pillars of society. And, and that's not a chauvinistic thing. That's not, you know, uh, mansplaining stuff, but it's of design. Like we, we have the, the strength and the, that that go get them attitude and I know women do too I'm not saying that they don't um, but that's sort of the design of society and when we run society that works well but we still need support we still need to be able to help guys when they're down and show them how to get up and hold them accountable when they're being dickheads or assholes um, yeah. and and there's not enough of that going on well that's he's he's an interesting fellow and I think he's villainized way too much because yeah. he's got some great ideas right He's got some great points. I think he's one of the smartest guys on the planet, yeah. and and I feel dumb listening to him. I I, I have his book, uh, which I actually yeah, haven't I even there, read. Yeah. I've done the audio version, um, but I'll listen to a chapter like eight or nine times, and I'm like, I gotta wrap my head around this, like understand it fully. Yeah. And he talks about slaying dragons all the time, but your dragons are your demons. It's the things that you need to control. Um, it's very much the same in my book, actually. Awesome. Yeah. There's yeah. The, one of the the final monsters he fights is something I call the Melmare, which kind of shapeshifts into things that are your fears, right? Okay. Things that are internal to you that are the worst things that could be, right? And he's got to fight that a number of times, right? Yeah. That's the other thing. Like, why can't guys say they're afraid of something? Maybe if they said those things, and I'm not saying your situation, but yeah. if guys were more open and say, hey, what you're doing is making me sad or fearful or depressed, yeah. then maybe women go, oh, well, maybe that's not the right way. Like, I need to be more respectful or I need to, you know, help build my husband up because that's the, the lifeblood of my future. It's tricky, especially nowadays, I find. I find that men are often shut down. We're, we've got this, you know, lip service to, you know, guys need to be able to say their, their feelings and so on. Yeah. But when they try and chime in on a conversation, you know, let's say they've got a couple of friends that are women that they're talking to, and they're talking about, you know, how they're afraid of whatever, and the the, the guy says, "Hey, yeah, I, you know, I have something similar," and I've seen it a number of times where they're, they're like, "Hey, this is not about you right now. This is about <laughs> this is about oh my um, women's fears and things, right?" Yeah. Like, but why can't guys have the same fears? Yeah, because I don't think at that point, anytime I've seen it, that the guy thought it was a gendered thing. He was just like, oh, they're sharing their stuff. Yeah. I want to share something too, yeah. right? So I think that's constantly reinforced of, sure, you have stuff, but shut up, yeah. right? <laughs> you go talk to someone else about it, right? I've been thinking about running a men's group for uh, probably a couple of years now based on that podcast that I listened to and, and the few things that I've seen in our society here. We have the highest rate of domestic abuse in, in Canada. Is in, in Really? Country four times the national average. Oh it my is God. horrific. So our town needs something. And there's a couple of Airdrie dads and pastors that are working on stuff and, and I'll help support them. But I really thought this accountability where like, you remember growing up and people like were always at somebody's house. Like there was so much more socializing going on, yeah. right? And we don't have that now. So if you're out and your wife takes you off and you get angry at her the way, your friends would be like, whoa, dude, just, that's not that big of a deal. Like you don't need to be that way. Yeah. But when you don't have that group that around you all the time, um, or a group of men that are going to hold you accountable, then then you just think it's okay. Like, yeah, my wife's mad at me, but she's always mad at me. So what difference is she's mad at me if I don't do the dishes or or if I hit her? 
Like, yeah. It's the same okay. level of mad, yeah. right? But it is a different thing. It is a very different yeah. thing without support and without talking. And, you know, um, we had, uh, I am so bad with names. Mom gave me pills today to help me with my brain. Um, the domestic abuse. Crystal Boys, there it came to me all by myself. <laughs> um, she's trying to open a women's shelter here, and uh, which is great. I, I, I think women need support and family need support that way. But I'm like, what is your plan for the men? Because you yeah. know, with this amount of men, so there's 100 a month uh, is what I understand the number is uh, here in Airdrie. That's a lot of homes to support those women and kids. We need to help the men so you don't have to have the homes. Like, we need both. Like, you, yeah. you, you have to have that support. So, I don't know what the answer is. I wish I had a psychologist at my side that could help me, guide me. and Even uh, sh- uh, shelters for men that have been uh, abused. Yeah. Think about that. Like, that's a, that's a hot a topic. It's a, it's a tough topic to talk about, but yeah, um, I think there's one in the, in, in the United States. That's it. Yeah. One. I don't want to... I don't want to bash on those guys because I personally know somebody, a male, that gets abused. Yeah. Um, um, so I'm not bashing on them. But at the same token, he's being abused because he doesn't want to be the abuser. Um, yeah. We, yeah. We, we have the physical power. We just do. That's, that's, not, that's the biology. That's right? the biology yeah. of it. Um, there's You get to have a choice as a man whether you're going to be abused or not. Yeah. For sure. I, I've had women attack me. Um, I've had one attack me with a knife. I've had... I was defended against all of them. I never had to phone anyone and say I was getting abused. Yeah. Because yeah. I made the choice. I wasn't going to let it happen. Women don't get that choice, right? They're, they don't have that strength and power to overcome it. So they need more support than the men do. I agree. In, in general, I don't like. I don't know if there's situations where there's a, a giant Amazon woman that's with a little guy. <laughs> Amanda Nunes is kicking the crap out of some dude, right? Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. so th- these, these things can happen. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, that, it's a that one's a tough t- conversation though, because uh, often there's been more shelters like that that have been planned, and they get they get, um, uh, what's the word? Funding or or no? You're the, talking about the people crapping on. Yeah, them. they get protested against and things like that. And I yeah, think that's pretty horrible. Like whether I would stand for that kind of abuse myself. Yeah, I don't think I would have stand for that kind of abuse myself. Right. But, uh, nor would I say they shouldn't have that. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I struggle with that one. I, I, and maybe I'm a bit chauvinistic or old school thinking is that th- there's certain things that men need to do and we're the protectors. We're, yeah. you know, that's what we need to do. We need to protect ourselves as well, right? We need to have a good group around us that hold us accountable and help lift us up and we can lift other people up and protect our families and our communities and our and ourselves. Um, but first, like Jordan Peterson says all the time, first do what's right for you. But not only right for you, it has to be right for you and your family and the community and the world. Yeah. And for today, for tomorrow, and 10 years, and the rest of your life. Brings it back to martial arts with me a bit, right? Because yeah. when you are in there and you've learned a bunch, um, A, you're learning to protect, of course. Yeah. You're also learning to control, right? right? So you... And it's the same thing, right? So I, I find that's a, a balance that every man probably has to have where they they know they have to protect. And in some cases, they don't have to protect, even if they're going to maybe get really hurt doing that. Right. And they also know that they have a capacity for harm. Yeah. And they have to know that they have to, how much they need to control that, right? Yeah. On the other side, right? So there's that kind of flip side, the balance. Well, that was one of my debates with Crystal because she's like... 
wholeheartedly against violence, but she comes from an abused background. So violence mm-hmm. is just outside. I'm like, I don't think that's the right way of looking at it. If you look at it that everything boils down to violence, that's a better way of understanding the way the world works. Is it really from natural natural standpoint, it does boil down to violence, right? Uh, Jocko Willink does this story about, like, you get a speeding ticket, and then you decide, I'm not going to pay the speeding ticket. Yeah. Well, the, it escalates until they grab you and put you in a cage and lock you up until you've paid your debt to society, right? That's yep. the ultimate violence is taking everything away from you. Um, and they'll do it physically. Every, over a speeding ticket, over a bylaw, like, it's going to happen. Things will come to that. It, yeah. it can come to that. And you have to make a choice on how far you're willing to go for this thing, whatever that thing happens to be. And that's the same thing in a relationship. How far are you willing to go? How many times are you going to let her take a swing at you? Because if the monster that's inside of all of us, which we should have, we have to have that warrior, that dragon, that demon yes. that you can unleash when you need to. That's part of being a man is that we have control over that thing inside of us. But we also can unleash that thing inside of us. So if you let someone hit you every day and then you're like, no, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to defend, I'm not going to uh, hit back. But all of a sudden, you lose control of the the leash on that demon. What's going to happen? It'll happen. It's yeah. going to happen. You just can't it's, let it. I've got that uh, that thing right in the in the book too. Just that exact oh, like. Oh yeah, it's beautiful. Um, you know, uh, the the monster beating him until he's like, I want to see the monster inside. I want to see. Yeah. I'm not going to stop until you show me that. Right until it comes off the leash. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think some women want to see that. Just like I was talking about how some street people want you to beat them up, some women want to see the the beast unleashed, that anger that that you're a real man, you're real passionate, you're real um you have the capacity to protect me. It's such an ingrained thing though like I um I always think back to things my dad's told me, right? But that was one of the things, right? You know, several things, right? You always protect those who can't protect. Right. Right? Yeah. And um, you never start a fight. You might finish it, but you never, you don't start it, right? That's what my dad told me. Yeah, it's common, right? Yeah. But that's, some of the things that are so important um, from father to son, I think. Yeah. Through generations, that bit of chivalry, right? To know that, yeah, you know, you are the, you are the physically stronger gender. Yeah. Right? And as such, you have a duty. And also as such, you have to have control. Right. Right. It's things that people don't like talking about, though, really. There's the, the definition of meek. Uh, I hope I don't butcher this, but it was talking about the ability to wield a sword, but choosing not to. That's the definition yeah. of meek, right? And uh, like Or a definition of meek. And that's the one from the Bible. They, they talk about being... Uh, um, I need better pills for my brains. <laughs> <laughs> they, they talk about being a meek man. And people think that that's being quiet, withdrawn, not forced. That's not what it means at all. To be a meek man means like I have this demon inside of me that could slaughter everybody in this room. But I'm choosing not to. I'm going to not abuse. I'm not going to hurt. I'm not going to unleash that unless it's for protection of me or protection of my family or my community. That's when you want to unleash it, right? And that's one of the things that I think doesn't get passed down from uh, dads to sons, and it's because the the high number of divorce and and uh, women leaving and not letting the dads be part of the lives anymore. If you look at stats too, uh, the majority of people who have committed kind of men who have committed kind of heinous crimes, yeah, rapes and murders and things like that, 
are from broken homes like that, right? I met a guy in Nova Scotia. He runs a little store in Victoria, Nova, no Victoria PEI. Um, uh, this l- cute little town. It's got a great chocolate shop in there and all that kind of stuff. But anyways, he was a pastor and he worked in the prison system for, I think he said 25 years or 30 years as a um, a pastor in all the prisons in amongst the uh, Maritimes. So he says all that experience working with psychologists, working with prison guards, working with wardens, working with prisoners, he goes, I could go into an elementary school and point out every kid that's going to end up in jail. You just know. They yeah. just like they have a certain behavior. They come from a certain type of family. And you're like, oh, okay, well, we could solve this really quick. Like, let's grow them in and then teach them to be better in their community. So how many people, I, I don't know this number, so I'm not bashing on energy for this, but how many men are volunteering to do big brothers, big sisters, to, you know, go to their local church and be part of the youth group, to, you know, start their own group. It doesn't have to be a Christian thing. They can just do, like, Let's do sports one night a week. So I'm going to give up my Wednesday nights, and we're going to play uh, street hockey in the summer, and we're going to play indoor hockey, and whatever it is. Just give up some time. And I know there's lots of guys that do that, but then mentor them while you're there. How many kids that don't have dads are going to not end up in jail because of one person doing that? Yeah, we need more of that, I agree. Uh, It's society, and Airdrie as a whole, I've got a theory about it, is it's a little bit broken because we're not really, no one in Airdrie is from Airdrie. You know, when I moved here in uh, whatever it was, 14 years ago, there was 9,000 people, and now there's 70,000 people. It's crazy. It 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 it's. I don't know that there's ever a community that has done that, like so from so small to growing so big so quickly. It's got to be growing pains somehow with that, right? There like, is, and yeah, what do you do with it? Like, I just think there's no no real community here. Like, there's there's communities here, but it's not big enough to handle that growth. A lot of things like that even come back. This is a strange segue, but to design of communities, right? Mm-hmm. So, if you look at any of the houses these days. Is always a front garage, right? Yeah. And it tends to have behavior where people in the morning, they go and get in their car in the garage, leave the garage, go to work, come back, get in the garage, close the door, get in, right? You never see a you neighbor. You never see your neighbor, right? Yeah. You're not incited to interact with your neighbors at all. Yeah. You're incited to be your own little pod and that's it. Yeah. Right? So you can forget about everything else. Yeah. So I, I wonder how much would change if we actually even just changed design like that a bit and went back to... I think there's actually statistics out about what you're talking about. When they started doing um, attached garages, front-attached garages, that it literally changed the landscape of our culture. Yeah, I believe it did. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I do, too, because uh, here it's tough. It's tough to meet new people and to be part of their lives. One, they're busy. We're a bedroom community, so everyone's got a big commute every day. Yeah. And, you know, everyone comes home tired because they don't eat well and they don't exercise. And <laughs> so, you know, there's all these combining factors, and then there's no accountability because you don't hang out with people daily anymore. Like, yeah, my parents and, and most of the adults I knew, they had friends that they talked to almost every day. And I just don't see that in our community anymore. No, I think it's changed. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I don't know. We need a psychologist, someone smarter than us to come on. Just tell us what to do. We'll go do it. Yeah, it's a good idea. Yeah. yeah. So t- tell me a little more about the book. I don't want you to, like, uh, spoiler alert it or anything. Yeah, I won't spoil too much. So, yeah, uh, basically it starts out, the main character is called Dylan Gunn. And and y- you don't really know all the things that went on in his, his relationship. You know what ended. Okay. And you know it was messy. Okay. He's got a daughter, and 
Um, at the start, he kind of thinks that life is just going to be dreary and crappy forevermore. He's kind of he's a little bit of a drunk at the start, honestly. Okay. I was never. I, okay. I think I would have found out if I was a drunk when I went through that my divorce. But yeah, I, yeah. yeah. It turns out I'm not. Um, and then he, he kind of has a chance encounter that tells him that maybe maybe things can get better. You know, even though he gets kind of screwed over a second time a little bit. Yeah. It uh, prompts him to try and get on a journey. And um, he kind of follows some dreams he's had in the in the book. And he follows them to this stripper, which is kind of a weird way, way to go. Yeah. And she hooks him up with this other guy who's, who uh, is a gruff biker sort of guy, right? And he says, you know, I'm going to put you on some quests that you got to do. Yeah. And if you live through that, because uh, some of them are for sure you could die. Yeah. Then yeah, I'll I'll uh, put you on the path. Wow. Right. So it, it there's some twists and turns there. I won't give it away, but there's yeah. there's lots of um, it, it's I didn't do any pandering to a female audience. Uh, I know a lot of ladies if they read the book, they'll hate it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> okay. And that's okay. It's not for them. Right. right? Yeah. And a, a lot of guys will be like, yeah. You know, and I don't read romantic novels. Yeah, so it's <laughs> they're not. I think you'll be okay. Yeah, with yeah, it. Um, exactly. It's yeah, it's really for men. It's got a lot of men things. I talk a lot about philosophy that's handed down from father to son. Yeah, I talk a lot about um, what it is to be like on the outskirts of society, opposed opposed to the core, because the divorced male is always on the out. Yeah, right. He doesn't take any of the uh, social network. He gets cut off. He's out, right? Yeah. So you really understand that really good when you're going through it, but you don't need to be a divorced male to understand that. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. We, you, any breakup, it, that happens a lot too, right? Yeah. The or guys are going to follow the girls, and the girls are going to follow the girls. Well, honestly, what happens is the girls follow the girls, Yeah. and the guys that were associated with that group also go with them. That's what I mean. Yeah. So when yeah. L- when oh, yeah, okay, the broken yeah. woman yeah. says, oh, I need all my girls, and they all come, yep. and then the men are like, I guess we're going too. Exactly. Hey, <laughs> right? You're not going to you're not gonna take off your wife or pick a fight with your wife over it. Like, eh, you know, Brian will be okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the dudes that were always like, yeah, I got your back, man, no matter what. Yeah. No. I know. I I I went through uh, one really bad. I was living with a girl when I was younger, and uh, she thought we were getting married. I um, I put some thought into it, and I I made the right decision. (laughs) But it was a a very tumultuous, miserable relationship. It was just it was awful, and uh, we were supposed to have the New Year's Eve party at our place, and we had like I don't know thirty forty people coming over to the party. And uh, at noon on New Year's Eve, I went, yeah, I'm done with this. <laughs> I went home, and I broke up with her, and she's like, well, you're going to take everybody away. And then I'm like, no, no, no. I'm going to go hang out with my parents. I'm not going to – I'm not even telling people about this. So they'll all show up to the party, and you can say whatever you want to say. I'm just happy we're out. <laughs> That's, and uh, so I left, and she phoned a couple of her friends and said, oh, Chad left, no, 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 And I'd never left before. It wasn't like a game that I was playing. Mm-hmm. And so uh, all of a sudden, I had like 30 people following me. Well, I had a pager back then. So they paged me, and then I called them back. And they were all like, yeah, we don't go to 
to go to your place. I'm like, no, go. I'm fine. She's broken. Like, you guys all go there. Like, yeah, we don't want to. We're not doing that. I'm like, well, that's pretty cool, actually. It, it was really cool. And it was funny that night. We're all partying and drinking and stuff like that. And, and one of my friends comes up to me. He's like, man, I'm sure glad we got you in the divorce. <laughs> and so that's it, awesome. it made me feel pretty good. But yeah. it's not the normal way to go. She was no. a pretty unhappy woman, though. Like, she picked fights with everybody. So, yeah, she, she, she dug her own grave. I hope she's not listening. I know. I hope she's happy now. Well, yeah, women's uh, social groups are different, right? Like that's to lose a social group is the worst thing in the world. Yeah. Right? For men, it's bad, but we're like, well, whatever. Yeah. You know? Do you know what the reason behind that is? So I heard no. someone talk about like the evolutionary biology of why women treat women the way they do, and so the reason being is like back in the old days. Women needed, when they were gathering and we were hunting, they needed to stay together as a group because they weren't strong enough to fight off, you know, male attackers and, and whatever. So the larger the group was, it was safety. better. Yeah. It, was, it was a safety thing. So if they didn't like somebody and they put them outside the group, they knew they would die. They wow. can't live on their own. So that's why women are so vicious in their, you know, when they like, we're not talking to her anymore. They want her to die. Like, they're nasty. There is one of the things I mentioned in the book uh, is this research. I, I read it a while back. And it was from this lady that studied. She's a primatologist, I guess, is what it is. She studied okay. primates. And she, had a, she uh, over studying a certain sort of primates, she made this theory. And it was so unpopular. Like, people were viciously against it. I can't even find it on the internet anymore. Really? But what her, what her theory said is what she found, because she was studying um, cheating behavior in primates, right? Okay. And she said, okay, you know, it's much it's the same as human mating. There's this kind of a contract, right, that says, uh, I will, you male, you come into my life, right, and you'll protect me yeah. and the children I bear. And in return, you can have some stuff. Right. right? Yeah, I'll <laughs> yeah. pick some fruit for you and we'll fool around. Exactly, yeah. right? So what she, good trade. what she found out in her research is that um, the males tended to cheat when the contract was not solid. So if he wasn't getting stuff, mm -hmm. he'd be like, well, contract kind of broken. Yeah. Susie seems like she's got a pretty good contract. So, <laughs> you know, an ample contract. <laughs> um, that's kind of how it went, right? Yeah, yeah. The controversial part of her research is that she found that the females would, would stray when the contract was very solid. Oh, wow. And not the other way around, right? So yeah. if she had a guy that was... Doing his part. 100% protecting. Yeah. Didn't seem like he'd stray at all. Stand-up fellow. Yeah. That then she felt safe to to go and, and uh, mess around, right? That is, it's so weird that people get upset about statistics and truth. So, like, she's not saying that women are bad people. People yeah. are pulling that out of her statistics, but she's just saying, like, listen, this is what happens in primates. And maybe we need to look at it more in human beings to see if it happens. And you can actually see that behavior in people, but it doesn't mean that you're saying people are always going to do that, right? Because you may have some psychological urges that way. Like, yeah. what guy in a relationship haven't, hasn't seen a really pretty girl and looked, yeah. right? doesn't mean he's doing anything there, right? Right. Um, because, yeah, we, we're animals, but we also have a mind. and we Conscience. Yeah. And we have the ability to look at a base urge and not do it. Yeah. We, maybe we want to punch that guy in Costco the butt in front of us, but we don't. Don't, right? right. <laughs> it's the same thing. So um, that she says that, hey, maybe that's part of 
psychological makeup of uh, people too. Yeah. It doesn't mean that everyone's doing that. It just means that that was her research. Right. right. Yeah. It's just, it's just statistics that she figured out. Yeah. Um, uh, I think it, uh, Brett Weinstein, um, I think he's an evolutionary biologist, um, taught at some university in the States. I've been listening to some podcasts about him and him and his wife both study pretty much what this primatologist is doing, but in human beings. And like, why do, um, you know, women have, you know, uh, kids from four or five guys and, you know, why, you know, yeah. certain type of women do. And then why do certain type of guys like those type of women? And, and so they are digging into all that. And they'll say, like, well, if a woman has this type of eyes and this size of breast and this shape to her body, she's more likely to do these few things. And if there's a guy that looks this way or says this type of thing, then he's more likely to be a cheater or more likely to be monogamous or whatever. And so they're just figuring out these statistics and, and you know, be able to explain like oh that's why that guy cheated is that you know maybe it's not his natural but that's who the girl was and she convinced him or yeah you know, whatever it is and it's interesting to me to to listen to that stuff because even thoughts in my own head when you like you say you see a really pretty girl or you know even a girl comes up and asks you if you want to do something and then you have to like Right now, make a decision whether you're going to do that. I'm, I love my wife and I love my family, and yeah. to lose them would be miserable for me. So when I, I get a proposal, it's just like, no. I know, I'm great. <laughs> I yeah, know. That's, yeah. Well, that, that just nothing in my mind is even close to that. I can look at a pretty girl and, you know, you think the thoughts that you do about pretty girls, but as soon as it presented as an opportunity, it was like, whoa, yeah. this is so wrong. <laughs> I don't want any part of this. Well, I mean, especially if you've been brought up with, like, high types of chivalrism, right? Like, yeah, I can remember being propositioned like that at a point when I was married, and I thought I was going to barf, right? Because I, I could look into the, like, you know, you're, you're there, someone's asking you something, and your mind kind of goes into the future, and you're like, no. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, had I a feel bad because I wasn't repulsed by her. I just I didn't want to give that impression, but I'm sure that she saw I it. I laughed hearing. at the girl. I laughed in her face when she when she like she verbally asked me to go home with her and 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 have intercourse, and I burst out laughing like that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. And she was young and she was cute and obviously got some daddy issues or whatever it is but i literally burst out laughing in her face and she was very devastated by it i as soon as i did I'm yeah. like, oh my goodness i didn't do that right but that's at a all. kind of a reaction too i'm sure that i'm sure that someone thought i was like gonna barf because she had like she thought it would put it back on herself but it was yeah. only internal right where I, yeah i was thinking about where things would go and you think no not no, right no it's not worth the risk ever it was tough to break that when i was single too yeah you know, like, because you, you still have this idea that you're doing something wrong, right? Yeah. You're married. And you're like, oh, no, I'm not. <laughs> but <laughs> but you, you have to go through that in your mind to, right. to get around it because you're... I never thought about it from that standpoint. And, and I actually wanted to ask you more about your research with the 30 or 40 other guys that you did. But was that something that was common with the guys that, like, once they knew they weren't going to be with their, their wives anymore... How quickly do they get back to dating, or how do you wrap your head around? Because I just the thought of it scares the daylights out of me. I hate the thought of having to ever date again. It's a scary world out there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm lucky right now. I'm dating someone, and she's great. Cool. So I, I'm I was going to ask yeah. if you were single and say, "Hey, single ladies," you know, but I won't do that now. Yeah, you know, we've been dating for I think four years now, something like that. Oh, okay, so good, good. Yeah, um, it varied actually between all of them. So there were some that were like 
no, I am actually never dating again. Yeah. Because, you know, women are only looking for one thing, someone to give them a leg up, you know, that's it, right? Yeah. Too pessimistic of you for me. And yet on the other end of the scale, there was guys that were like, yeah, you know, I was, I didn't think I would trust again, but, you know, a couple months later, I was, I, I, it was fine. Wow. Yeah. Right. It's like when your dog dies, when is the right time to get a new dog? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it feels like. It's unless you describe it. I'm like, because I've never been through a divorce. I've been through breakups. Yeah. But that's not a real commitment. Like, I, 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 People are going to get mad at me for saying this, but like having a girlfriend, there's sort of social contract with it, like you were saying earlier, but it's not a commitment. The commitment is the marriage. Right? Yeah. They, I mean, that's kind of known in society that that is, you know, whether internally it's the same amount of commitment for the people. Yeah. That's a different story. But the idea of, dating and marriage societally people are like yeah marriage is the big bigger thing right yeah. like hands down right yeah yeah so it, like when that's done when you know that it's done when is the right time to and it gets it's got to be individual but but when's the right time to go back How, what were what were the splits like was majority guys going back earlier or was it like a 50 50 split it was right through so it uh if you're Stole gonna put a number yeah um the majority were in the middle there, right? Like some of them were dating months afterwards. Um, I can't say I was dating, though I was active. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Talking, hitting on girls. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I, maybe I shouldn't have been. I don't. I don't know. Yeah. I, I. I think the the rule of thumb is maybe when you feel like you're not gonna put a bunch of pain onto someone else. Yeah. This is probably the healthy time, right? Yeah. We uh, uh, went through a series at church where they were talking about, like, instead of asking for more money or a bigger house or a relationship or, you know, your Christians are, are asking God for this stuff, they're like, ask for the character so that I can give it to you. So, like, like you were saying, you don't know if you're in the right place to date again, yeah. that you have to know you have the right character to be able to date again, right? Like, yeah. you're good with yourself. You you know, you've dealt with the depression and the sadness and, you know, your portion of the breakup, because I never think it's ever one-sided. Like, I think everyone's got a piece in it. Sometimes it's 1% to 99, and yeah. sometimes it's 50-50, and, you know, it's all over the map there. So... As long as you deal with your person portion of it, uh, we had a, a neighbor a few doors down. I won't use their names, but they went through a divorce. So they were doing a big renovation. I was running a renovation company at the time. I wasn't doing theirs. The wife slept with a renovator, and he found out about oh. it. It, it. It's messy. It, mm -hmm. I don't know the reason why. I don't know anything. But anyway, so she took off with a renovator, and now the house is half renovated. He's getting a divorce. He's a scientist. He's not doing the renovation himself. And so his father-in-law and mother-in-law saw the, the, the logo on my truck and came over and says, hey, can you come over and help us out? So I went over there to talk to him about it, and they told me about the divorce and what happened. They were very open about what their daughter did, and they loved their son-in-law, so they were there to help. Oh, that's pretty great. It was, And he's a really, really nice guy. But, you know, when I was over there, I was just like, oh, I'm so sorry. That's horrible horrible like i just i can't even imagine being in a state where a woman would do something he's like it's not all her fault i could have been a better husband and i went holy crap like that's one of my first realization that you know that it's never a hundred percent on one person like literally a week ago he learned that his wife has been sleeping with his renovator and now she's left with this guy and he's like no it's partly my fault wow i, I just 
I thought he was maybe one of the most outstanding guys I'd ever met. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I look at that in a different way. In, in some ways, like it could be. Like, yeah, I mean, always you can. It's like like you said, you're putting in 110 percent, right? You're yeah. Um, you can always put it back that way. Yeah. Though, she chose to do what she did completely, hundred yeah. percent, right? True. No matter what he did, yeah, or didn't do, right? Because um, she could have handled that differently and said, "Hey, you know, I'm feeling like we're not not matching. Can we work on it? Can we whatever?" Right. Yeah. Right. So, I think the only option we have in life is to look at our portion, though, like to say, oh, yeah. she's a horrible person." Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. Yeah. You know, maybe she was at a weak moment. Maybe she was duped by this guy. Like, there, there's a thousand things that could happen on her side of it. But he decided to look at it from his portion and go, oh, this was my part of this. It's super to be self-reflective. I 100% agree with that. Yeah. I, mean, I just, I think people often are, they're, they're too uh, forgiving of that moment to be like, hey, you know, no matter what, like, that didn't happen accidentally. Right. Yeah, it doesn't. Right? Because I know it wouldn't happen accidentally for me. No. And that's why I know I couldn't live with it. Right. Because I would know I made that choice. Yeah. And it's always a choice. It's right. always a choice, right? I think what his portion was, he's like, I know the things I was doing wrong. Yeah. And so he's like, if I, if this marriage works out or my next marriage, I'll never let this stuff happen again. Right. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. That, and I think that's where it came from, and I just I can't even imagine being in that position where like the divorce is hard, but knowing that your wife has been with somebody else is is hard. Like, there's just so many ugly things with it. Yeah. You no, know? I know. I've I've been through a lot of this stuff. But yeah. It does lead to a lot of thinking. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> I think self reflection is good in in uh, good times and bad times. Like, why are things going so good? Let's figure that out. Let's know why they're going good. And yeah. when things go bad, you got to figure out why. What was my portion in this? Why did it go bad? Yeah. I, I, I uh, even a, a flip side of some of this is, yeah, sometimes not stuff you um, did or didn't do, but stuff that you allowed to happen. Yeah. Right. That as, as that part of the partnership, you're like, you know what? I shouldn't have allowed that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think and that's so 100% that's true. That. That's that bit is on me if I allowed that to happen. Yeah. Right. A bit. Yeah. At, at least. Right. You te- can't take responsibility for their decision, but you can take your part into what drove them to that decision. Of course. Right. Yeah. 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 Cool. You know, I really enjoy talking to you. Yeah, this is great. Yeah. I uh, let's let's promote the book a little bit more. Um, can you see that on the camera? Is that the right spot? Do you need to hold it? Uh, sure. Yeah, you can put it up in front of the camera. So it's uh, Brian Blackwood, Sandstone Heart. Um, it's out everywhere. Where can people buy it? Amazon. Uh, pretty much any bookseller you, c- uh, you can get it. Uh, it's awesome. a, amazing. It was it was released, you know, at 2 p.m. one day. Yeah. And at 3 p.m., there was already a bookseller in England that said they had used copies. I was like, you guys were liars. <laughs> pretty yeah. sure. They'll go buy the new one and sell it. Oh, I, yeah, something, right? Or they'll yeah. say we're out of stock. The used ones are just they're sold, right? Yeah. You oh, have to buy this new one. Okay, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, self-published or you have a publisher? It's actually in between. So um, I've self-published before. Yeah. It's a hard process. Yeah. I've tried to go through the publishing process, and that's been hard as well. Yeah. Um, this is one tell well, and they do it kind of halfway in between. Okay. So um, you pay for some things, and they do some things on their end, like a publisher as well. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it kind of meets in, be- in the middle a little bit. Are you gonna do an audio version? 
Uh, if I could, that'd be great. Yeah. yeah. Is it expensive? I don't know. I haven't looked into it, actually. Okay. I've, I've been looking into just marketing this right now, which is hard. Yeah. I'm a horrible marketer. Yeah. Yeah. That's not my skill set. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if you know any guys that are going through this, anyone listening to the show that's going through this type of thing, yeah, the book is meant for them. Right? Perfect. I, I know a few guys off the top of my head right now that I think I'll uh, I'll share the book with. I'll definitely give it a read because uh, I'm not a big reader, but it sounds like I'm going to enjoy this one. So I'll uh, I'll give it a go. And if it was out on audio, I would definitely listen. <laughs> I'll look into that. Yeah, yeah. Who should I get? To? Sean Connery, maybe. Like, that'd be pretty no, good, No, it's right? got to be you. <laughs> people that don't read their or get other people to read their books, that sucks. Like, mm-hmm. especially if you've heard them before and then someone else is reading their book. Th- yeah. It's hard. It's hard to listen to a book that isn't read by the author. Did Peterson do his? He did. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And and I like Peterson's voice. I know there's some people that are like he's he's too monotone, too drone, and I uh, maybe it's because I like what he's saying so much that yeah. I can get over the voice. But uh, he did a really good job. You can hear he did long sessions though, because uh, there'll be a, a cut off. Um, obviously because his voice is like getting tired and, and, and then it refresh after and then it yeah. refreshes. You're <laughs> like, Oh, that must have been the end of the shift kind of thing. Yeah. But you know, you talk for, you know, four or five, six hours is what they'll do sometimes with these to, to get through the books. But that's a long time to use your voice. I should ask Peterson to do my, my audio for me. Yeah. I've been that would give it some some boost in sales, I'm sure. Yeah. He, <laughs> I think so too. Yeah. He uh, he's been in Calgary twice and I put out for him to be on the podcast twice and didn't even get a response from his team. Oh nothing. So yeah. I gotta shoot a little bit lower I think and then work my way up. <laughs> <laughs> Why not aim high though when you can, right? I, you know what, I I invite everybody, and I don't get my feelings hurt when they don't show up, so uh, yeah, or they don't answer, and then yeah. you know because I've asked, I've had some, uh, you know, uh, you got actors Robin got Robin Black, and I've had some hockey players on here, and some other artists and cool. authors and stuff. So yeah, I just ask everybody. I've got had a comic on uh, two weeks ago, Jason Fredrickson. Jason Fredrickson, and now I've got two other comics lined up to come on because they heard his and they liked it. So now I just I look at all the comics that are coming to Calgary. I invite them all. Some of them say yes. Some of them are like, are you fucking kidding me? I'm like, <laughs> no, not kidding. But if yeah. you don't want it, that's fine too. Yeah. I just don't get my feelings hurt anymore. So, uh, Brian Blackwood, uh, Sandstone Heart. Uh, we'll put all the links into uh, your Amazon uh, thing in our in our in our our uh, uploads. I am struggling for words <laughs> tonight. Um, uh, we'll do a little write-up on you. I'll read the book, and uh, I'll, I'll do a little review. And uh, once it gets a little bit busier, if you want to come back and talk about it, if you're going to do a book tour to. or whatever, yeah. we'd love to have you back. And I'd love to have you back anyways. So, uh, I love talking to you about everything that's going on, not even the book. Yeah, it was a good conversation, actually. Cool, Wonderful. cool. I enjoyed it. So, everybody, thank you so much for listening. Uh, thank you for sharing. Um, those of you that are, we really encourage you to get out there and, and share these podcasts. Uh, Eric, you want to roll the outro? Hey everyone, thank you for listening, thank you for sharing, this podcast is over.